Good morning, everyone. Matthew 5, and what a chapter it is, uh, teaching straight from our Lord. Let's think of the backdrop of the setting here. John the Baptist has been telling people the kingdom of God is at hand to repent, uh, bear fruit in keeping with righteousness. Jesus is coming on the scene now, and he is saying the same thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. And to think about what that would mean. So we have um, a Jewish nation that largely is influenced by the Pharisees, who, as I've mentioned earlier, are very concerned about the law and the outward nature of their lives, the outside of the cup, but struggle to have inner life change. They a lot of times look at themselves with pride, look at everyone else with distaste, and focus on um, keeping the law while having a heart that is far from God. So John the Baptist and Jesus are now coming on the scene and they're teaching the Jewish people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and we're beginning to see what it means to live a transformed life from the inner man. So not just following rules from the outside, but really having a new inner being devoted to God. And that's what we see Jesus teaching here. He's giving them a radically deep teaching on what it means to honor God and live a transformed life. Uh, and it's not full of pride. It's not full of law. It's full of love and humility and devotion to God and evaluating one's inner thoughts, decisions, and actions and having them live for the kingdom of God, having people make decisions as though uh, heaven is at hand. What would we do in front of God? If God was our witness, how would we respond? And he's teaching us how to respond to the things of life. Um, he begins up on a, with the crowds up on a mountain. What a beautiful scene. Wouldn't it have been great to be there? Uh, and the disciples were with them, but others were around as well. And he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's not something that the Pharisees would have demonstrated. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's a great desire, but not just on the outside of the man, but on the inside of the man, to really desire to be more like Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. And I'm not going to read all of the chapter, but it, isn't it, if, if you already have read it before listening, it seems like this is something that this chapter we could read like every time we flip a month, you know, to go back to Matthew 5 and read it because it it gives us such a great challenge and inspiration to live for Jesus. I think some of it could be summed up in this passage here, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? You know, we want to live for the Lord and be the salt of the earth, but if we lose our saltiness, we're not, we're not, we lose our godliness, we lose our character, we lose our Christ-likeness. Uh, we're no longer going to be good for the mission that God has called us. And it says it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled 
underfoot by men. May we live more like Jesus and more transformed. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And may we be that light. Let your light shine before men so that you can glorify God in heaven. And then he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, to fulfill. And that's really deep. And, you know, through the New Testament writings, we'll really figure out what that means because we're not under the law now. However, Jesus was coming to transform their lives through the Word of God and not say that the law is bad, but say, we need the inner man to be transformed by faith in me. And in by doing so, you know, much of the law we're gonna we're gonna honor and live out just because we're we're advancing even beyond it. Um, but it is a season where now we are under grace and the new covenant has changed some of the law and what it means to follow God. Uh, and we learn that, you know, later through the Apostle Paul. But Jesus came to fulfill it. He he came, you know, as a fulfillment of the law. I mean, he was the Lamb of God, just like, you know, the Lamb was sacrificed on Passover and sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus fulfilled all of that in himself. Um, he also teaches us, and I think it's really important. Uh, I was reading in this class that I'm taking, there was a writing and, and, uh, it was a writing from a guy back in the 1800s, and he was writing almost like a New Age belief and a new way to look at the Word of God. Now, this isn't something that was being taught to us, but it was something that we were reading in order to see how early on um, the America began to become more liberal and not rely on the Word of God. And I was so saddened that some of my classmates, when commenting on this, this writing, we're like, oh, wow, this sounds really interesting. Somebody used the word fascinating. And I'm like, I I came on pretty strong. I'm like, this is from the gutter. This is not, you know, orthodox belief in the word of God. Listen to what Jesus says about the word of God. He says, uh, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever it keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, meaning Jesus had a very high view and reverence for the word of God. And where it's difficult and challenging, like this chapter as an example, we should be looking at how God can challenge us to embrace his word and live more like him. I mean, a lot of the world would say, uh, you know, this, this chapter is too hard or, or what it calls for is beyond um, maybe what we can do. And, and instead of looking at that like that, we should be saying, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, how can you make help me to embrace all that you teach? Because he's got some um, challenging teachings here. I mean, when he talks about murder, he's like, yeah, you shouldn't commit murder, which is obviously a Ten Commandment. But then he says, everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty. See how Jesus takes it so much deeper? And he really supports um, reconciliation, um, being, you know, not hanging on to bitterness and resentment and going to your brother, your sister, and seeking 
harmony and reconciliation and uh it, you know it's a great a great teaching there sometimes we get um justified in our own minds that it's okay just to stay anger angry and bitter and resentful and Jesus is like when you live a transformed life in me you'll let go of all that stuff and you'll you'll love others and you'll it'll be easy for you to reconcile quickly because I'm in you and this is what I I teach and you know he talks about adultery you should not commit adultery another 10 commandment but everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery and that your church tells you right away that every form of pornography of any kind is completely from the gutter. It's evil. I don't even know why it's legal in our country. It's it's just terrible, the amount of pornography in our world. And if you are a brother or sister that has uh, embraced some of that, you need to rebuke it and call it evil for what it is and, and get rid of every opportunity to look at it because you are committing adultery when you take part in pornography. It's wrong. Um, then he talks about divorce, and he gives a really hard word on divorce. Now, we'd have to look at the whole teaching, but he, he says that uh, you know we shouldn't divorce except for basically sexual immorality. I'll actually be talking at church today uh, about unbelievers leaving. Sometimes that is also a reason why there's divorce because one's a believer and one's not, and the unbeliever leaves. They just choose to leave. And in that case, we can we can let them leave. But if they want to stay married, we're supposed to stay married. So, you know, again, God's desire is that people work things out, stick together, and that d- divorce is actually very difficult and that it, it it's something that we should strive, just like the forgiveness of a brother. We're supposed to work towards reconciliation and seek to be one in our marriages. Um, you know, later on in the chapter, um, and I, I marvel at this, and I, this one's really interesting. You have heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the, your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. You do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And, man, I think we need to consider this more. Now, is this an always statement for every situation all the time? You know, do we never stand up for our rights or do we never defend ourselves? Um, gosh, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I would say no, that it's not always the case. But I think the problem is, is we live as though it's always the case. We live as though I'm going to protect my rights. No one's going to take advantage of me. And, you know, I've kind of had situations with my my family, kind of interesting times where, you know, when, if we go to New York City or we go somewhere where there are poor people, you know, whether it be family or just Culturally, a lot of people don't want to give. You know, they don't want to give to others. And I, I, I try to just go ahead and give to people as I walk by. And I think I find it kind of fun. And I, I feel like it's 
what the Lord is saying here, that we need to be more generous to the poor. And gosh, I could be so much more, you know. Um, but the question would be, is like, how do, would Jesus live? He lives as though our possessions and things just don't matter that much because they're not going to heaven anyways. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're focused on kingdom and heavenly things and not on earthly things. And that changes a lot when we are focused so much on eternity and heaven versus on earth. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Something perhaps the Pharisees were teaching. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Uh, isn't that amazing? In every sense here, Jesus is teaching about heavenly living. Um, praise the Lord. And may we take it in and may we, you know, what would Jesus do, right? You remember that bracelet? I mean, and it's good to know that factually, um, you know, and maybe to have that reminder on our wrist, what would Jesus do? It's a good thing. But what we really need in order to live that out is a desire to live for the kingdom of heaven. And we need God's Holy Spirit on our mind <clears throat> so that even our actions just aren't our outward side of the cup, but that we do what's right from our inner man being transformed by Jesus. Um, may we continue to be more like him. I would, I could fit that all into what we've been learning as far as he's created us in his image and likeness. He wants us to be more like him and he's teaching us here uh, on the Sermon on the Mount what it means to, to be more like him. Let's, let's apply it more to our lives. God bless you all.